This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. All right, well, hey, it's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight, isn't it? Amen, amen. Well, tonight, someone was asking me, okay, is tonight part seven of the Son of Jesse series? And I said, no, it's not. Tonight, we're, we're, we're doing a one-part thing here. We've got a message that God wants you to hear tonight. And, uh, and I, I mean, this is for you tonight. If you are in this building, then you qualify that this message is for you, okay? This is, God, this is a word that God has for all of us. But the title tonight is this, is Three Faith Blockers. We're going to look tonight and identify three different things that could potentially be causing our faith to not work like it's supposed to. Have you ever been in a position or a spot in your life where you've been praying for something, it seems like, for a really long time? I mean, you've been gathering the verses, you've been praying, you've been standing, you've been fighting the good fight of faith, and yet it seems like nothing's happened. Like, God, I've been fighting this thing for a long time now, yet nothing is happening. What's the problem? And I can tell you this, every time that I've been in that spot, every single time, the problem was never on God's end. It's always been something down here, and it's usually something on my end. Why? Because God doesn't make mistakes, right? Does God ever do something wrong? Is there ever a point in time where God's had to come to you and apologize and say, you know what, that's my bad. I knew you'd been praying, and what had happened was I got busy over here with these guys. I forgot about you. My bad. My bad. Will you forgive me? No! God's never had to ask for forgiveness. God has never had to say, I was wrong because he's never been wrong. And that tells me that if there is an issue, it is not on God's end. It's got to be down here somewhere. It is not an issue in heaven. Heaven didn't run out of money. Heaven didn't run out of healing. Heaven didn't run out of salvation and power and peace and joy and the life of God. It's all still up there. If there is an issue, the issue is not up there. And so as I'm praying and and as I'm studying this and as I'm reflecting, there's three things that I want to discuss tonight that are highly likely candidates that could be stopping the prayers from getting answered in your life. Now, I'm not saying it's definitely one of these three things why things haven't been rolling, but I am saying if you are at a standstill and if you have ever been in the spot where it's like, why am I not getting answers? There's a very good chance it's one of these three things. And so we're going to pray and we're going to get into the word of God tonight and we're going to see what the issue is and we're going to unclog the pipes and get the blessing flowing again. Who thinks that sounds good? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, in Jesus name, we thank you, Lord, so much that we have a church to come in and and worship you. We have a place that we can come with our family and hear the word of God. We are grateful for that. And Lord, I pray in Jesus name that as we open up our hearts and we open up our Bibles tonight, that you are going to speak to each person here, Lord. You know what we need to hear. You know the answers that we're searching for. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you will speak to us in a great big way tonight. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right, so three potential things, three faith blockers that will block your faith from working. And the number one thing is this, is unforgiveness. Can I get church? Can I get an amen? Or am I? All right. You left me hanging on that one. Wow. Number one is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness will stop the blessings of God in your life quicker than any other thing. 
And I'm going to show you why. It's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Many of you know this verse. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, in the King James Version. We're going to get you a chance to get over there. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. And you've got to know that unforgiveness will stop God's blessings quicker than anything else will. Why is that? Well, this verse gives us the answer. You've got to know this. You need to know Galatians 5, 6. It says this right here. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision avails anything or uncircumcision. But look at this last part. But faith which worketh by love. Faith works by love. How do prayers get answered? By faith. God provides the power. You provide the faith. And boom, it happens. You got to get these two components together. And then a miracle happens. But faith works by love. There is no chance in the world that you're going to be a person that gets prayers answered and sees miracles and the power of God in your life if you're a person of bitterness and unforgiveness. It's not going to happen. Your faith is crippled. It is flat. It is not going to work because faith works by love. This is a great big deal. You know, I I don't know a lot about cars. I know very little, but I do know this. You have to have fuel in the tank to make it work. I mean, most cars, 99% of cars, right? You've got to have fuel in the tank to make it work. I mean, you could have an amazing, you know, here in, in Barstow, we see these Lamborghinis and these things coming down the freeway. Growing up in a little redneck town in Indiana, I never would have dreamed that I would have seen any of those cars in my entire life. People there dream about seeing those. But, you know, sometimes I'll be driving down the freeway and here comes some $100,000, $200,000 car just zipping right past me. And it's incredible. But, but imagine this. Imagine you've got my first car that I bought. It was a 1980 Chevette. Okay, it operated on about three, three and a half cylinders. It was great. And it was, I mean, it would backfire like a shotgun, man. I would, I'd be driving down the front. I'd be going down the highway to, you know, you mechanics know. I would release the accelerator and boom! I hear the big, and I'd be, I thought the Taliban had come to Indiana. I was like, what's going on? Crazy, man. Scared the, I mean, I was scared. But anyway, this car, it was not a good car, but it, it got me where I needed to go. It, it went zero to 60 in about 60 minutes. It was very slow, but not good. But here's the deal. If I put gas in that car, it was functional. Now, imagine I take my Chevette up against, you know, we'll say an actual Corvette or something like that. And they're side by side. And everyone's like, oh, we know which one's going to this. This is easy. This is a no brainer. But the Corvette has absolutely no fuel in it. It doesn't matter if it's got the biggest, best engine. It doesn't matter how much money you've put into it. If you have not taken the time to put some fuel into it, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to win in my Chevette. And, you know, that, that's, a, that's a crazy thing to imagine. But it boils down to this. Cars run on fuel. You can have all the other components, but you've got to have this one thing to make it work. And there's some people, man, they're, you know, they've got all the other components together But faith works by love. Faith works by love, just like cars work by fuel. And if you don't have the love of God in your life, you're not going to get anywhere. You're going to be tripping and tripping and tripping and stuck in the sand for a long, long time. Faith works by love. And coincidentally, fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the first thing it lists. That means that the first fruit that should show up on the Christian life is love. That should be the most number one noticeable difference between a Christian and anybody else is love. 
love. That, that should be the first thing people see. Julius was talking about this this morning. He's over there in India. He's got, I mean, he's got Muslims. He's got the Hindus. He's got terrorists and everything else all around him. And so he walks into the store. He looks exactly like they do. And so what's the only difference between him and them? He says it's this. They're all full of rage and anger and bitterness and hate you and want to kill you where he's at. They've kidnapped his son and everything else. They've done really bad things to him. When he goes in there, the difference between him and all of them is obviously God. But but boil it down. The noticeable difference is this is love. He doesn't get mad at them. He doesn't curse them out. He doesn't think of ways to get back at them. He turns the other cheek. He goes the extra mile. All this stuff. Why? Because that's. Christianity 101, the most basic part of Christianity is love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. This is some of the very first things that we teach our children. I told you, you know, I was up in the nursery last week with 11 babies. They all had the same common issue. They do not like to share. They didn't like to share. You know, that if one kid had the blocks, the other kid wanted them. And, you know, he may have not been had his eye on those blocks all night long. But as soon as Bobby gets the blocks, he wants the blocks all of a sudden. Because it's human nature, man. We get selfish, and they've got to learn to share. They've got to learn to love. And it's the same way with Christians. The most basic thing that you've got to get down is you've got to love other people. You've got to forgive other people. You've got to do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. If you don't. Your prayers aren't going to get answered. I can tell you that right now because faith works by love. So I want to show you this story tonight in Matthew chapter 18, Matthew 18, Matthew chapter 18. This is a story Jesus told here, Matthew 18. So who's excited to, to figure out how to start getting these prayers answered? Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. So G- Peter comes up to Jesus one day and, and poses a question. Look at this. Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Wow. I think I, I've said this before, but I think Peter thought he was going to impress Jesus and be like, Lord, what would you think if I said that I'm going to forgive somebody seven times? What do you think about that, Jesus? That sounds pretty good. And Jesus isn't impressed at all. He's like, That's, no, I don't, not, not seven times. Peter, 70 times seven, try that out. And I think Peter was like, are you, are you serious right now? Are you serious? No way. That is crazy, man. Who would do that? That is nuts. If somebody does me wrong 490 times, why in the world would I forgive them again? But Jesus says, no, Peter. Seven times 70. That's what I'm looking for. And so look at this. Therefore, Jesus breaks into a story. Jesus was a master at this. You come and ask a dumb question, you're going to get a beautiful story. So here we go. Jesus launches into this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up today with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Say millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, 
his children and everything he owed to pay the debt. Now, that's a pretty bad spot to be in. You're millions in debt, and then they lock you up and sell your wife and kids. I mean, how are you going to earn money to pay that debt off now? Pretty much your life is over with. You're going to rot in a jail cell. That's, that's pretty much, this is the worst possible scenario. This is a bad spot to be in. So look at this. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I'll pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that you owe millions of dollars right now, and the person you owe it to comes in and says, you know what, I just for, let's forget about it. You don't owe me anything. Just go on. Have a good life. You don't owe me anything at all. Do you understand the magnitude of that? If I owed millions of dollars, first of all, I don't know how I got myself in that amount of personal debt. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. This guy probably had a gambling addiction or something. That's bad. But here he is. He owes millions of dollars. And the man says, you know what? I feel bad for you. You don't owe me a single penny. Just go on. You're forgiven. Good Lord, man. That would be about the best day of my life. I'd be dancing and running it and telling. I mean, I'd be all over the place thanking God, thanking this man. I This would be a life changing situation wouldn't it and so i i also believe at this point i would feel a need to be very generous to other people do you think the same thing uh, anyone that if you had been forgiven millions of dollars i think that i would be at that point a man of compassion and mercy and want to help other people out something along those lines but look at this guy look what happens here verse 28 but when the man left the king he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Say few thousand dollars. Millions versus thousands. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor would not wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Talk about evil that is bad that's evil man you were just released of millions of dollars and now this other guy that owes you a fraction of that you you won't give him not even one extra day of mercy you grab him by the throat and have him arrested that is pure wicked man but check this out when some of the other servants saw this they were very upset i'd be ticked off too they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you. If you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Jeez, man. I mean, that is that's some heavy stuff right there that this man was thrown in prison and tortured. Why? Unforgiveness puts you in prison. Anyone? You've been. Has anyone else been in in the prison of unforgiveness? It is a prison and it is a merciless, bad place to be. And guess what? It tortures you. This man was locked up. He was held captive and he was tortured every day until the debt was paid. And it probably never got paid. But check this out. 
unforgiveness. It locks you in prison and it tortures you. And, and, and the bad part is, is that you hold the key. You are locked in a prison that you yourself hold the keys to and could get out of with God's help and with your own decisions. Now, I realize that it's easier. It, 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 forgiveness, it's not just as easy as saying, no, yeah, I, I forgive. There, I mean, sometimes you've been very wronged and, and legitimately you're upset for a good reason and you have been wronged, no doubt about it. But that doesn't exempt you from what Jesus said. Just because you, ha- you got wronged extra bad. There's no, I find no loophole in scripture where Jesus says, well, un- forgive your neighbor, you know, 70 times 7, unless they did this to you, then don't forgive them. This is the exception. Don't forgive them if they, no, there's no loophole. None of us are exempt from forgiveness. We all owe it because Jesus forgave us. And so this is, I mean, this story is incredible to me. That this man would have this attitude. And then Jesus said, this is what's going to happen to you too if you don't forgive other people from your heart. And notice he says, from your heart. Because it's good to say the words. That's the first step. But you've got to get this in your heart. It's got to come from your heart. And I understand that that can be a process. And that may take a little bit of time. But you've got to get the ball rolling on this. You've got to make this happen with the help of God. You have got to forgive. Why? For your own benefit. You've got to forgive because you're the one held in prison right now. You're the one being tortured. You're the one standing there spinning your wheels in the sand, not getting anywhere without your prayers getting answered. Because you're the one that holds the key to that prison. You've got to do this. You have to make this happen. And so I want to show you something here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Colossians 3.13. Who's getting excited? All right. (laughs) Colossians 3.13. Now, I mean, unforgiveness is not one of the most uh, popular, fun topics to, to, to talk about, but we've got to, this is so important. This is monumentally important in the life of a Christian. Forgiveness. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Colossians 3.13, the Apostle Paul says, make allowance for each other's faults. Wow. And forgive anyone who offends you. Who? Anyone. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The Lord forgave you. Anyone in here, have you ever done something wrong Against God. I'm not afraid to admit. I've done a lot of things wrong against God. I have done lots of stupid and wrong things throughout my existence. Stupid and wrong things. But the thing is, is every time I come to the Lord, He forgives me. Every time I come to the Lord, He forgives me. Why do I know this? Because I I have a promise in the Word of God that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's in the Bible, so it's true. Every time that I come to God with a repentant heart and I am truly sorry... He forgives me 100% of the time. That's incredible. And and it tells us right here that you need to forgive others. Why? Because Christ Jesus forgave you. And I I like how it says, make allowance 
for each other's faults. I know some people, they won't cut anybody some slack, man. They make no allowance for anybody's faults. I mean, the second that you do something wrong, the second that somebody does something remotely annoying, they just blow up on them. I'm like, man, listen, you've got to cut people some slack. If that's you tonight, if you just don't give anybody, leave anybody any room to not be perfect, you need to check that out, man. You've got to stop doing that. You've got to cut people some slack. You have got to make allowance for others' faults. Because we all struggle in some sort of different area, right? Let's get real. We all, and, and that doesn't make it right for us to go out and do it. I, I know some people, well, I'm born this way, so I'm allowed to do it. Seriously? You were born that? You were born? How, no, that, that doesn't exempt you. Yes, some people are born with struggles naturally. different. Some people are born with a tendency towards rage. I get that, but that doesn't make it okay for you to go beat people up. You can't just, oh, I was born this way, and so, you know, just, it's, my, it's my thing, it's my thing. I, people know I'm the guy that blows up and hits people. It's my thing, just, it's what I do. No, that's stupid, man. You can't do that. That's wrong. But I do know that some people struggle with anger, so I'm going I'm not, I'm not to go push their buttons. I'm going to you know, make some allowance there. But listen to me. Listen to this. You've got to cut people some slack. You've got to make allowance for each other's faults, and you have to forgive. Because Christ Jesus forgave you. Jesus forgave you, so you owe it to others. We're, he, he paid the debt that we could never pay. If, if, if I got to heaven and I had to argue my way in there for all the great things I've done to get into heaven, it wouldn't be good enough. It wouldn't be good enough. But Jesus came and he said, I'll pay the price for that guy. I, I got him. I, I'll pay his price. I mean, how could I ever pay that back? There's no way in this world that I could pay back Jesus for what he's done for me. But what I can do is obey his word. What I can do is forgive the people that he created. What I can do is cut them some slack and make allowance for their faults. What I can do is go the extra mile and turn the other cheek and forgive other people that wrong me. That's what I can do. And that's what Jesus is asking of us is to forgive others. And so there are different things that can absolutely block our faith from working. And unforgiveness is one of the biggest things. And and I, I mean, I've told this story a lot of times, but... I mean, I, 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 I had a, a list of people that I just like, to be honest, I didn't like them. I mean, I had some unforgiveness issues. I had some bitterness stored up in there. And, you know, I, you know, I'm a pretty calm guy, but I mean, they're just people I, I like, I remembered what they did to me for a very long time. And, and I'd be, that wasn't good for me. That was bad on me. And so one day, you know, I'm, I'm praying about stuff and I'm like, Lord, I've been praying for this for a long time. I've been standing in faith. Nothing's going on. And God just starts flashing face after face before me. And I'm like, oh, dang, I got to do something. Oh, man, it's on me. <laughs> so I go to the store and I just I bought, a, a you know, a, a package of just blank cards, beautiful cards, different uh, landscape scenes, flowers and mountains and rainbows and ponies and just beautiful, warm, fuzzy things. And I'm like, okay, here we go. So I mean, card after card, I love you. Forgive me. I'm sorry if I ever defended you. And, and I mean, just card after card, mailed them in the mailbox and it freed me that day. Guess how many people responded back? None. None of them responded back and said, will you forgive me too? But that's okay. That's not my problem anymore. That's on them. But I freed myself. I got the key out that day and unlocked the prison and stepped out of it. Amen. And so 
forgiveness, you can never control what the other person's going to do. And I think that frustrates a lot of us sometimes. You can't control what other people are going to do. The only person you can control in this world is yourself. And you've got to do that. You've got to control yourself. But listen to me. It doesn't matter if the other person ever even acknowledges that you said something. It doesn't ever matter if they come and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me too? Because they're probably not going to do that. Okay, let's just get real. There's a great chance that they won't even do that. But that's okay because you did things on your end and you forgave from the heart. Just like Jesus said to do. And you can get out of that prison. Amen. So unforgiveness will block your faith from working because faith works by love. That's undebatable. The second thing is this, is doubt. Things that will block your faith. This is one of the more obvious ones, is doubt, or I like to say being double-minded. Being double-minded, because a lot of times, that's the exact thing that trips us up right there, is being double-minded. I mean, you come into church, I mean, I know everyone here has done this, I'm not the only one. You come into church, you hear a great, inspiring sermon. I mean, I mean, it was just, you, you get pumped up. You're ready to go out there and take on the world. And you're ready for the fight. You get out there, and then Monday morning comes. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know if I'm not feeling it right now. I don't know. I'm going to... I know God can, but I don't know if he's going to this time. And and I know I prayed, but I don't know if it's going to happen. And, and oh, what if this person doesn't do this? And what if this doesn't come through? I just don't know what's going to. And listen, you're being double minded, man. You are being double minded. You're being full of doubt because one minute you were assured that God was going to do it. And then the very next day, you're like, I don't even know. Am I the only one that's ever been there? Am I? Oh, OK, that's fine. I'm the only one. But But let me just tell you. Speaking from experience, since none of you have been there, it stinks. I don't like it. I don't ever want that to happen again. That's called being a double-minded man. So let's look at James chapter 1. All you holy people in here, but I'll, I'll, I guess we're just talking about me tonight. That's fine. That's fine. I'm, I'm cool. I can handle that. Forgive you guys later. You liars. James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So we can't be double-minded. When we ask God, when we bring it to Him in prayer, we've got to believe that it's going to happen. And you've got to stick to your guns on this. James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. New King James, it says this. If you come to God asking, it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. You ever gone down to the beach and seen, I mean, the water, it's up and it's down. There's nothing stable about that at all. It's up one minute, it's down. It's in and it's out. It's up and it's down. It's in and and there's nothing stable about it. It's all over the place. And it says that's what the guy is like that prays and then doubts God for it. So you're all over the place, man. You're up, you're down, you're in and out. You're all, you're a mess. That's a double-minded man. Verse 7, for let not that man suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now, unstable people, I mean, that's a dangerous person to be around, somebody that's unstable.
stable, you never know what it is. I'm, and I've seen so many people like this. I mean, one day they're wanting to preach to me and, and you know, and teach me all about the Bible. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. And then the next day, I mean, they're out there just like they were, you know, a few weeks ago. They're smoking, drinking, cussing, fighting, arguing, cheating, beating, and all this stuff. I'm like, man, whoa, what happened? What happened? They're a double-minded man. They're unstable in everything that they do because instability isn't just limited to one area of your life. If you're unstable, you're unstable. It's not just in your faith and prayers. It'll spread to every area of your life. And it says a double-minded man is unstable in a couple of his ways, man. No, in all of his ways. It says that guy can't expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord. That is a bad spot to be in. And so it says when you ask, you have to ask in faith with no doubting. Now, that's easier said than done. But how do we get to this place of being able to ask in faith with no doubting? Well, Julius nailed this on the head this morning. You immerse yourself. You soak yourself. You drown yourself in the word of God. You have more faith coming in than you have fear and doubt coming in. You have more faith coming in than anything else. You've got the Bible coming into your life nonstop. That's how you overcome this. There's no way in the world that you're going to be a faith person if you give God five minutes a day but get the TV five hours. Not going to happen. And I, anyone? I mean, you guys are quiet tonight, man. Check it out. Are you going to be a man of faith if you give God five minutes in the morning and then watch TV for five hours the rest of the day? I ask you this way. How many hours a day do you give to your hobbies and interests and wasteful things? And how many minutes do you give to God? Minutes versus hours. I mean, I know people that give God a couple minutes, if that, and give TV, their phones, their video games, their uh, everything. They'll give that hours upon hours, give God a few minutes, and then get mad when he doesn't answer their prayers. Why? I don't understand. Any, I don't even know if he's real. Why, why is it like that? Listen to me, man. Listen to me. There's no way in the world that you're going to be a man of faith, a woman of faith, if you don't give God the same amount of time that you give everything else. Listen, it's not going to happen. And we see people blaming God, shaking their fist to heaven. You know, I don't even know if he's right. He doesn't answer prayer. He's never done anything for me. Listen, it, don't be like that. You've got to start taking this seriously. You've got to take your life seriously. You've got to take your fight seriously. Why? The devil takes it seriously. The devil takes you pretty seriously, whether you do or not. And just because you're a weenie and a wimp and won't give God any time, he's going to, that's not going to stop him from coming after you. He's going to come double barrel full speed ahead of you. You're an easy target, man. He'll pick you off on his way to lunch that day or something. I mean, you're nothing if you don't build yourself up in the word of God. How does faith come? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have got to build your faith. That's how you overcome being a doubtful, double-minded person. You've got to start putting more faith, more Bible in than anything else. And so faith, it's an absolutely spiritual thing. Faith is a spiritual thing. And we're so used to this natural world. We look around at our circumstances, but you've got to look at the unseen. You've got to look at what you can't see yet. Because the definition of faith, the most basic definition we could put, is believing without seeing. And so God, you know, Hebrews 11, 6 tells us about faith. It's impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is. 
and that he's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so without faith, you can't please God because you can't even believe that he exists without faith. Because we're praying to someone we've never seen to give us answers that we can't see yet. That takes faith. That takes real, genuine, spiritual, heartfelt faith. And a lot of people, they just don't get there because they aren't willing to put in the time to the word of God that it's going to take to fight the fight. Listen, victory doesn't just fall down on you like ripe cherries off a tree. Have you ever been by a cherry tree and, you know, they, they're ripe, so they're just falling down? Like, oh, that was easy. You don't need no, no work at all. You just pick them up. They fall on you. Well, it's not normally that way when you're fighting a spiritual fight. You have to take it serious enough to get your Bible out and fight. A lot of people want the preacher to fight for them. They want their, all the church to fight for them. They want everybody else to fight for them, and they don't want to do the work that it's going to take to get in the Bible, learn some scriptures, get up early in the morning, and get put a little bit of extra time in to pray in the Spirit for a while, to, to forgive people, to love. They don't want to put that effort in, and they wonder why they aren't getting victory. You gotta quit being, you know, I'm not, I'm just saying this in general to the body of Christ. We gotta quit being lazy and just hoping that things are gonna get better because that doesn't happen. Hope does not answer prayers. Hope is a beautiful thing and it's a precursor to faith, but faith answers prayers. Hope just says, well, it's, I believe it's possible that God could do it. Faith says, I believe that God is gonna do it. So you've got to get this that it's not just going to fall on you. You've got to be willing and able to put the fight in there and fight the good fight of faith. And so let me show you here a story in Matthew chapter 14, Matthew 14. And this is a story that we've read a lot of times, but I want you to see something here. Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 through 30. So you've got to start taking your spiritual battle seriously. Because the devil's taking it really seriously. And he's probably having a great time thumping you around. you got to take it seriously. Matthew chapter 14, we'll look at verse 28. Matthew 14, verse 28. Here's another story from Peter. He's full of good stories because he was never afraid to speak up. But Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. And so Jesus is out there walking on the water and the disciples see it. Verse 20, then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you by walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. There are two people in the history of the world that have walked on water. We're looking at them right here. Um, you know, we know there's illusionists, but no, for real, for real, walking on water, two people have done it, Jesus and Peter. For a few moments here, Peter was doing the impossible. He was literally walking upon water. I mean, I would have loved to have just witnessed this whole scene as he stepped out of the boat. And here's Jesus in the middle of all this. And Peter starts taking steps on the water. Even if he took one step, that's more than I've ever taken. It's more than you've ever taken on water or anybody else. I don't know how many steps he got in that day, but even if it was one or two steps, 
Peter walked on water for a little bit. And, and it's incredible. And it says, you know, I imagine his eyes were on Jesus. He's walking and he's, he's coming towards Jesus and he's walking on the water doing the impossible. But you know the story. Look what happens when all of a sudden he takes his eyes off Jesus. Verse 30. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Like, wow, this whole story just gets me. But notice that Peter didn't start sinking until he took his eyes off of Jesus. And it's the same way in our lives. You can walk on water and do the impossible if your focus is on Jesus. But if you take it off and put it on all the danger and trouble surrounding you, you'll sink just like that. And Jesus pulled him up out of the water. And, he, and, and you know, I notice he says, you have so little faith, Peter. Why did you doubt me? And oftentimes I've looked back on situations and I felt like asking myself the same thing. Why did I start to doubt God in the middle of that miracle? And a lot of times, man, you, I mean, you, you, you've been fighting the fight and everything else. And for some reason or another, in the middle of your miracle, you doubt God and sink. Peter was right in the middle of an amazing miracle when he started doubting God and he's saying, we have to keep our focus on Jesus every day. Jesus said, why did you doubt me? Doubt came in and sunk the miracle. And the exact same thing will happen in your life. You're no better than Peter. The exact same thing will happen. You could be have an absolute miracle of God operating in your life, whether you realize it or not. Sometimes a miracle is taking place and you can't even see it yet because all you can see is this world and this skin and this building. But there's something going on in the spiritual world and, 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 and it's taking place. And right in the middle of it, you give up and say, I don't know, I don't even think it's going to happen. And then you sink and it's all over with. Jesus has to come pull you up. Well, good try. Get back in the boat. You know, better luck next time. He wouldn't say that. But, but I'm just saying, listen to me. We can't doubt. This is a lesson for everybody here. It says that makes us a double-minded man, unstable. And I would say Peter became very unstable when he sank right through that water. But he had the impossible happening when he had his eyes on Jesus. And I want to show you a great verse that you really need to know. Hebrews 6, verse 12. Who's, this, this is a life-changing verse here. Who wants to hear a life-changing verse? They're all that way, but Hebrews 6, 12. You need to know this one. Hebrews 6, 12. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus and you have to be patient. That's another fruit of the Spirit. You've got to be patient. We're so used to things happening instantly that we're a very impatient society. We're a very impatient group of people. We don't get what we want fast. We're like, I'll oh, forget it. I'll just do it myself. Or eh, well, I'll just go over to this other restaurant. Or, eh. You know, we, we're just impatient people. We're spoilt. We are spoilt. You know what I mean? We, if we don't get what we want, we just we, well, forget about it. And it's not that way in the faith world. That's, that may be how it comes with your favorite fast food burger. You get you a taco. I mean, you can be impatient there, I guess. But it can't be that way when you're fighting the fight of faith. It doesn't work that way. You've got to be patient while you're fighting the fight. Hebrews 6, 12. It says that you do not become sluggish, but you imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. 
How do you inherit the promises of God? Faith and patience. It takes these two things. I know some people that have the faith part down for a while, but they don't have the patience. And so when it doesn't happen instantly, they're like, uh, you know what? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm try something else. And they give up on their dream or, or they go some other route or, or, or they just blow the whole thing up altogether. Listen, that's not going to inherit the promises of God in your life. It's going to take faith and patience. That's how you inherit the promises of God. And it says to imitate those like that. That's how they inherited the promises. Faith and patience. And so I'm encouraging you tonight, just because it hasn't happened yet, that does not mean it's not going to happen. Just because you've been standing and fighting and speaking and believing and shouting and praying and singing and dancing all these years. Listen to me. Don't give up. The verse that they talked about earlier, Galatians 6, 9. Don't grow weary and well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. If you faint not. You can't give up. You can't faint. You can't you, you can't just walk away from it. Listen to me. You've got to stay in the fight to win it. If you're in it, you can win it. If you're in it, you can win. You've got a chance as long as you show up. That's all you need. Show up. Faith and patience. You inherit the promises of God. Don't be double-minded. And the last thing we'll say tonight is this about things that can block your faith. Number three is an empty tank. An empty tank. And we hit on this a little bit earlier. But flip over to Romans 10, 17. Every person that goes to this church should know this verse. But Romans 10, 17. And this reminds me of in 2006, I went to the Indy 500 race. It's the the largest single day sporting event in the world. 400,000 people converge on this race track. Yeah, it's a two, one lap is two and a half miles. It's a huge race track and we grew up pretty close to it and everything. But I was in college in Oklahoma and I had some, some of my good friends were from the Netherlands. They were Dutch, Holland. And, you know, I don't know why, but they apparently they love racing over there. Not NASCAR, but they, they like this Formula One and they like Indy car racing. And so we're in school and, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking to Josh one day. Josh still lived in Indiana and he could call the classic rock radio station. And if he was caller number nine, he'd get free tickets to the race. I mean, when you, when you got 400,000 tickets, you got to get rid of some free ones somewhere. And so Josh had an automated dialer on his phone. And so he could win tickets to stuff all the time by calling the classic rock station. And so he, I'm like, Josh, score me some tickets to the race. I got it for my friends. This would be like their dream come true. That would be like one of us going to the Super Bowl or something. That's how big of a deal it was to them. And so Josh is like, okay, give me a few days. And so he calls me the next day. Okay, I got two of the tickets. How many do we need? I'm like, well, we need four. He's like, okay, give me a few more. And so he, like two days later, okay, I got the other two tickets. And so I don't know how, but he, he just had this great way of winning tickets. So we got four tickets, uh, on the, on, uh, uh, the last turn, right before you go to the finish line, we had great seats. And so I take these guys to the race. And I mean, this is like, this is probably the high point of their lives. I, I, they're still my friends and they, they haven't talked to yet. And they, they've had kids and got married and everything, but they've never talked this. So here they are. They're at the Indianapolis 500, the, the biggest racing event in the world. And we get here and it's great. And the race is going good. And, and this one guy um, named Marco Andretti, he's, he's been leading most of the race and him and this other guy named Sam Hornish. I'm not a race guy, but I know a few names. And so they've been kind of changing spots, but uh, I'm listening on a radio in my ear and all this stuff too. And they're talking about, is he gonna, 
Is Marco going to take the chance to fuel up, or is he just going to risk it and try to make it to the finish line without getting that one last little bit of fuel? And so he decides he's not going to stop for fuel at all. He's just going to just going to chance it. And seriously, on the very last lap, they're going so fast. If you're looking right at them, you can't see the cars. You got to look ahead because they're going 220 miles an hour. So so uh, we're looking, and and the race ends. And for a long time, nobody knows who won. And it ends up being one of the closest finishes in Indy 500 history. I think it was the second closest at the time finish in Indy 500. But what happened was Marco Andretti on that last little straightaway did run out of gas. He had enough, obviously, to make it there. But it was just enough that he ran out to get beat by this other guy and get passed literally at the last second. And he lost the race. And so I'm like, man, what a perfect example of it's a great car. You've got all the potential in the world, but you got to have fuel in the tank. And there's so many Christians, man. They've been in the race. You know, the Philippians tells us you got to run your race. They've been in the race for a long time, and here they are coming down that last lap, but they haven't taken time to fill the tank up. And right when they need it most, they push on that accelerator for a prayer, and nothing happens. They run out. There's nothing there. They go to push, they go for the power, they go to hit it, and nothing happens because the tank done ran out. And that's what happened that day. And so we've got to keep it in us. Romans 10:17 says, For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Does faith come by praying a whole bunch? No. Is it good to pray a whole bunch? That's great. You should do it. We should all do that. Does faith come by worshiping? Does it come by downloading the latest Hillsong album and getting, you know, I mean, that's good stuff. That's cool. Great stuff. But listen, that that does not give you faith. Faith, the only way that the Bible outlines that faith comes is by hearing the word of God. The other things are great. They build you up. They make you feel good. They encourage you. And, and it's all great. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it baffles me. I don't like to use this phrase, but it nearly blows my mind. The people that I see that decide, especially during summer months, to take their God vacation. I see every year I see this. People, you know, summer comes and you see some people, they just, they, they, not just this church, every church in America. It's a documented thing. People, they just basically quit coming to church for the whole summer. And I'm like, wow. If, if I were to choose to take a God vacation, you know, if I'm just going to, you know, not do church or God for the summer or whatever, listen to me. You better pray to God that the devil's taking a vacation, too, because chances are he doesn't go on vacation. And just because you decide to let go of God and walk away for a while and get lazy and, and all this stuff, the chances are the devil is not going to take a vacation from you. And that that is the perfect opportunity to come somebody that has no fuel in the tank and get them right, right, when, right at the last second, man. Listen to me. Don't run on an empty tank. Don't let go of God and, and then wonder, well, I wonder why my prayers don't get answered. This guy got a job. This guy got healed. And over there, they got restoration. They got peace and healing and money. Well, nothing ever happens for me. God, you like them more? What's going on here, God? And he'd say, well, they showed up. They, they, they were here. They've got faith. They got built up. They heard the word of God. It's no great mystery to me why some people get prayers answered and others don't. I'm not judging here, so don't be a snowflake and get your feelings hurt. But listen to me. It is not mind-blowing and baffling why some Christians get their prayers answered and others don't. It is not that hard to understand. It is not that hard. You love and forgive. 
You, you, you know, you don't doubt. And I mean, you, you, you hear the word of God. You take God seriously. You take God seriously and you show up. You hear the word of God. That's how faith comes. It comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can't run on an empty tank. And, and I've shared this before. There's one last thing that I, I find this interesting because I was wondering, you know, is there any actual documented proof? That Christians have better life. I mean, I know we do. It's obvious. But live longer, have better life. And, and so I found, sure enough, there was a, 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 a test, a survey done for a several year period. And it concluded in 1999. So this is a few years ago. But, but this is very interesting to me. This study showed that the more a person attends church, the longer they live. Documented. Documented thing. But look at this. People that never attend church at that point in time, their average lifespan was 75.3 years. People that never attend church. And then people that occasionally attended church, maybe uh, once, twice a month, their lifespan jumped up to 79.7 years. A four and a half year increase on people that just sometimes went to church. People that went to church once a week, it jumped up to almost 82 years. And then people that went more than once a week, like you yahoos, their lifespan jumped up to almost 83 years on average. So between people that never went to church and people that went more than once a week, average lifespan was increased by nearly eight years. And that's, that's, that's significant when you're talking about a scientific study. That's a significant increase in lifespan there of eight years. And so that's not my reason for serving God and going to church all the time. I do it because I love him anyway. But the fact of the matter is this is that absolutely the more you serve God, you're not going to lose out. It's not going to kill you. It's not going to make your life worse. I feel better when I go to church. I don't feel worse. There's never been a time that I've gone to church and walked out and said, man, I really wish I hadn't done that. I, uh, I, just, I knew I should have watched the game tonight. Ugh. Taco Tuesday at Del Taco. I went to that prayer meeting. Good God. You know, there's never been a time that I've regretted going to the house of the Lord. There's never been a time that I've prayed and said, I wish I hadn't prayed, wish I hadn't read my Bible, I wish I hadn't listened to the preach. Never been a time that I've regretted it. But I can say there's been thousands, millions of times that I've said, thank God I went to church today. Thank God I got my Bible out. I'm so glad I woke up earlier this morning and read the Bible. I'm so glad that I listened to that sermon online. I am so glad that I spent extra time in prayer today. It got me through the fight today. And listen to me. If you are a person that you're looking to get your prayers answered, look at, I, I just challenge you to examine the three faith blockers that we've brought up tonight. Unforgiveness, doubt and an empty tank. Listen, this could be the answer to your problem. And so examine this and see if this is something that's been hindering you. All I know is this, is that God wants his children blessed. He wants your prayers answered. He wants blessings in your life. He wants all the promises of God to come about in your life. But you've got to do something about it on your end. You've got to love and forgive and treat other people the right way. And you've got to not doubt. And you've absolutely got to stay full of God's word in your heart. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and we'll call it quits there tonight. Let's stand up together. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
For more information, visit hdwc.org.